We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. The Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper, Nick Whalen, getting ready for Week 11 of the fantasy football season. Uh, if you like this podcast, well, thank you. Uh, if you have a moment to leave us a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate that. iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on, those reviews. Well, I, well, are I think all we're good. generally curious. Like, why do you like this podcast? Like, we don't just want the review. I just, I, I generally want to know. Why do you like it? I, I actually do too. So if you if you not only leave a rating but actually leave a review, like I like this about your podcast, like that would make me better understand why anybody listens. Right now, it's just very confusing. 
nothing about this makes any sense. <laughs> uh, let's just dive right into this Thursday uh, game. We've got the Saints and Panthers. Actually, a good Thursday matchup. Carolina still in uh, backs against the wall mode, I think we'd call it, where they, yeah. they pretty much have to win out or maybe go 6-1 uh, and one the rest of the way to make the playoffs. So their margin for error uh, is pretty small. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, Over-under in this one is 52, so it's actually one of the higher-scoring games on the board for Week 11. Uh, I was talking about this game earlier with the 120 sports crew on the morning run, and it's a game where you feel pretty good about everybody that you would typically play. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin's in a good spot. I even like Jonathan Stewart. I think for people who own him, he's typically an RB2 or a flex. This is a nice matchup for him. Uh, New Orleans is the third most generous defense to opposing running backs as far as fantasy points allowed this season. I think the only players I'm I'm worried about are all on the New Orleans side and the backfield with Ingram and Hightower. I think Sean Payton is smart enough to start going away from Hightower. I'm not certain of it, but I at least feel like if you're going to play Ingram this week, you're going to get 15-plus carries. Uh, Hightower hopefully gets less than that. And then you look at the receiving core. After fumbling twice, two very costly lost fumbles, does the rookie, Michael Thomas, see fewer targets in the passing game this week? I think those are the main questions I'm looking at with the Saints. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to say he would see fewer targets. You know, I, I don't know if Drew Brees you know, is going through his progressions and saying, oh, Michael Thomas is wide open for a 30-yard gain, but he might fumble it. You know, I think, if anything, it's like maybe he's just not on the field quite as much because they don't trust him. Um, but, I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, he was the lowest-rated receiver uh, according to Pro Football Focus in all of Week 10, and obviously the two lost two fumbles. I don't know their formula. They, they won't share it with right. me. It's uh, obviously proprietary, but mm-hmm. I assume that losing two fumbles is uh, something that buries right. you near the bottom of One any position think. any given week. Yeah, so I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily knock Michael Thomas all that much from a you know Drew Brees avoiding him standpoint, but you know they have other options certainly in this in this receiving game. So maybe he's not on the field quite as much. Obviously, those two fumbles probably cost him the game against Denver. I mean, it was a two point loss, kind of a bizarre scenario unfolding at the end, uh, allowing Denver to get that win. But New Orleans really controlled this game for you know at least probably five sixths of it. Five sixths. Five sixths. That was the first fraction that came to mind. You have a weird mind. Uh, Devin Funchess, I think, is kind of interesting this matchup, too, because the Saints, you know, they're not a good defense at all. And if, if Funchess is going to have a game where he's useful, it would be a matchup against New Orleans. Two, uh, two catches, 28 yards, and a score on six targets in their first meeting. Also had three for 56 and a score on four targets against the Chiefs last week. So could be a little window for Devin Funchess to be useful uh, in very deep leagues where you might be scrambling for that last receiver as a result of Week 11 buys. As far as how you expect this game to play out, I mean, do you think the Saints can get the win on the road, or do you see Carolina holding serve at home and covering that three and a half? I mean, nothing's really changed for me with Carolina, where every week I think they can beat just about anyone. I mean, they can beat probably 27 teams in the league any week, but they've also shown that they can lose to anybody or they can keep bad teams in games. I mean, it looked like a great matchup for them in L.A. two weeks ago. They only win that game by three. You know, they're up big, they're dominating defensively against Kansas City last week and just found a way uh, to, to throw that game away, really, or fumble that game away at the end. So this isn't the complete Carolina team from a year ago or even two years ago. Uh, they can lose to anybody, but I still think that potential is there. You know, like as I go through and, and pick games each week for various pools or what have you, the Panthers are that one team that I never feel good about really either way. 
Actually, I shouldn't say they're that one team. They're one of like 20 teams that I don't feel good about either way. This is why you don't spend a lot of time in sports books. I will take Carolina giving up the points. I think mm-hmm. they get it done. Uh, I think the short week favors them, especially mm-hmm. being the home team. And Vegas has been very patient with the Panthers all season long. Right. They tend to know uh, what they're doing. Let's move on to the Bucks and Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs, seven and a half point favorites at Arrowhead over under in this one at 44 and a half. Jameis Winston has been a pretty big disappointment this year. Mike Evans has been even better than some expected. I think he would go in the first round if we were drafting today for the rest of the season or uh, even today for next season based on what he's been able to do in this offense. But going into Arrowhead and playing really well is something that maybe back in the beginning of the season I would have expected Jameis Winston to do. Based on what I've seen through the first 10 weeks of the season, I'm very pessimistic about Mm -hmm. that. I feel like Kansas City comes away with the win question is can they actually win by a TD I feel like they're the most underrated team in the AFC like every time we look at them we're thinking like oh it's Alex Smith and you know the defense is good not great how are they going to move the ball through the air Jeremy Macklin's still banged up he's not practicing today by the way so it's not looking great for him uh, for week 11 but ultimately I look at Kansas City as the better team and I think they actually will cover that seven and a half it seems like they get into the spot every year where they kind of they lull you to sleep a little bit with a few games that they probably shouldn't lose and all of a sudden you know you don't check for a few weeks and they've reeled off six wins in a row I mean they last won their last 10 games of the regular season last year they've won five in a row now six of their last seven um and even last year right around this time last year weeks seven through 11 five game winning streak I mean they, they kind of seem to hit their stride right in the middle of the season of course, now they've had injuries at the quarterback position. Uh, we know about their injuries at the running back position. Jamal Charles uh, just had another knee scope, so that situation looks uh, not great going forward. Um, but they've—I mean—they've been able to win games with Nick Foles. Granted, those were against Indianapolis and Jacksonville. Um, but but the Colts have looked more competent of late, and Jacksonville's defense at least has looked respectable these last couple of weeks. Uh, so I think Kansas City is a really good team. But I have the same question you do: Can they win by seven and a half points? I don't know. I mean, they, they tend to just kind of grind out these wins, and you know, they're not a team that you ever think is going to pile up a ton of points. We know they don't air the ball out all that much. Jeremy Macklin's been banged up. Um, I think Tampa Bay is good enough offensively that they can make a couple mistakes. I don't know that the Chiefs are a team that can capitalize on those mistakes with touchdowns, and, and Tampa Bay can score with anybody. You know, a quick-strike offense with Jameis, you know, he, he does take a lot of chances, but when you have a receiver like Mike Evans who can kind of go up and, and mitigate the risk on some of those 50-50 balls, um, I think Tampa Bay keeps this close. I think they lose on the road, uh, but I think they keep it within a score. So you're going to go ahead and take uh, the Bucks and the 7.5, so we're on mm-hmm. opposite sides of this one. Uh, Arizona going on the road to Minnesota, who a few weeks ago looked good, and at this point more injuries have piled up. They can't run the ball. It's basically Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, and a good defense. And I don't think that's going to be enough to beat Arizona. And I know Arizona's got flaws, but when you look at the way they're built, I think they have enough weapons offensively and they have a smart enough head coach where they're going to find some ways to break the Vikings down. The over-under is only 40 in this game. I'd expect to go a tick above that. I think 43-44 is a more reasonable expectation. I think we're going to see maybe like a 24-20 or 24-17 game in favor of Arizona. Yeah, I think the Cardinals win. Minnesota... I mean, were they just were they just kind of smoke screening us through the first few weeks? I mean, it wasn't like they were just you know pulling these games out of nowhere. I mean, they were dominating teams, and you know maybe we look back on that win over Green Bay and that win over the Panthers and think like, okay, those teams probably seemed better at the time. 
Um, but I mean, this is night and day as far as what we've seen the last three, four weeks from Minnesota compared to what we saw from the first uh, five weeks. I mean, four straight losses. Uh, the offense, you know, it got to 20 points for the first time in, in four weeks uh, last week against Washington and, and ended up blowing a big lead in that one. Uh, but I mean, if you're Green Bay right now, you just got to be thankful that this has happened to Minnesota because Minnesota's had you know, three, four weeks now in a row where they could be sitting comfortably atop this division with Green Bay playing the way that it is. Yeah, at Packer Thanksgiving, I mean, Mike McCarthy cuts the turkey, and it probably takes a surprisingly long amount of time for him to get that done. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Janis, of course, still sits at the kids' table because that's mm-hmm. how they handle him. It's just one of those things where Minnesota, if they had been healthy, just like an average level of healthy from day one this season – I think they were legit. I think the defense can be that good. I think the problems they're having running the ball make them one-dimensional on offense. When they're one-dimensional, Sam Bradford is not good enough with Diggs and Rudolph to beat good defenses, and that's what's going to come back to bite Minnesota uh, as the stretch run approaches. And if they get to the playoffs, I think playoff-caliber defenses especially can shut them down. Mm -hmm. So unless they find a way to make that patchwork offensive line work, I just don't see them running the ball well at all at this week or any time this season, and I think that's going to be their Achilles heel. It's, un- it's an unfortunate development, too, because I-, I think Mike Zimmer's a good coach, and I think that is a, a championship-caliber defense that Minnesota has built, but they have just right. had a terrible run of luck with injuries, You know, going back to Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson mm-hmm. uh, to begin the season. Right. I mean, I think we said this on the Monday pod, the Vikings averaging the second fewest yards per carry as a team since the merger in 1970. Since the I mean, merger. Since the merger. And when you start have to bring, when you start bringing in the merger, uh, which like, I, I, even as like a big football fan, like I have to admit, I never really even knew like what the merger meant until you start looking into it. But you just know it's bad. Like when you say since the merger, you're just like, wow, that's a long time. So that's almost 50 years. Um, and part of that, of course, is a loss of Adrian Peterson. But this offensive line is in rough, rough shape. Yeah, it uh, it is in dire straits right now. I have no confidence in Jarek McKinnon or Matt Asiata. The only thing I like about Asiata, he keeps getting short yardage carries. So if someone's yeah. going to get a rushing TD for Minnesota, for now it seems like uh, he's the guy who's going to be called upon. I'm going to take Arizona in this spot. I'm surprised this isn't really an even line based on Minnesota's uh, current form. So I'll take Arizona getting the two and a half. Uh, Cincinnati hosting Buffalo minus two and a half are the Bengals and 47 and a half is the over under. It's a bit higher than you'd expect. Buffalo's defense uh, has taken some steps forward since the beginning of the year when things looked really bad. You think back to uh, week two, Ryan Fitzpatrick just just lit up the Buffalo defense and uh, naturally the Bills decided to fire their offensive coordinator after that happened, but somehow in a weird way. Rex Ryan got killed for that, but it it actually kind of worked. Like obviously that decision probably didn't you know, have that it had, had nothing defense, to do with but, the defense. Yeah, but like weirdly enough, since then they've been kind of a night and day. All it may have been is just the defense getting more time to work with Rex's brother Rob and mm-hmm. to fit into the scheme and just little things like that. I don't think I don't think teams are a finished product at week one or week two. Like that's that's kind of obvious. Like teams take time so to come either. together. So other teams get worse as the season goes on. Yeah, like I'm thinking of one maybe located in East Central Florida. Really. East yeah. Central? Yeah, East Northeast Florida, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to More like Northeast. I'm going to yeah. check a map, but uh no, I, I think your your point stands. It it's it's <laughs> it's possible to go either direction over the course of the year. Your teams are waves. They're certainly not straight lines. Uh as far as the Bengals go, you know, AJ Green 
autoplay every week. I like him in daily this week because I feel like there's a there's a perception that Buffalo's defense is above average. I think they're just fine. Like you can put anybody out there against them. Like a good top number one receiver is going to do damage against the Bills. And the price for AJ Green is a tick below the other top end receiver. So I continue to gravitate towards him as I build out lineups. Uh, the backfield continues to be a mess. I mean, Jeremy Hill, Gio Bernard still sharing carries the way they have in previous years, but we're not getting the efficiency from Jeremy Hill that I would have expected. I thought we could see numbers more in line with his rookie campaign. Instead, he looks more like the player he was last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, that was evident against the Giants um, You know, on primetime the other night. 15 carries for 46 yards, nothing longer than 9 yards. Gio Bernard, I mean, didn't do a whole lot more either. And 7 for 17, uh, a long of 7. Hill does seem to be the the short yardage back though in the red zone. So if you know you've kind of had to choose between these two guys a lot, you know, week to week or in daily, and I think you got to lean toward Hill. But at this point, you can't feel great about it. The other thing I should point out too, if you look at the season yards per carry, it's four point seven, which is pretty good. It's close to what he did uh, back in in twenty fourteen. He had five point one yards per carry as a rookie. But you'll remember he had nine for one sixty eight against the Browns yeah. and look at look at the per game averages over the course of the year against the Jets 3.4 yards per carry against Pittsburgh 2-0 Denver had a good game 5.7 then Miami 3-4 Dallas 3-0 New England 2.9 the 18.7 against Cleveland Again, it's almost like the Browns defense isn't that good almost like the Browns defense yeah has some it's holes uh, Washington 3.8 yards per carry for Jeremy Hill and then last week against the Giants 3.1 I, I think the efficiency for the season is still skewed heavily by more or less one really long run, but one great game against Cleveland. So you have to really take that with the appropriate grain of salt. If you're mm-hmm. looking at the overall efficiency numbers uh, and he's still not catching passes because that's what Gio Bernard does in that offense. But do you look at Buffalo, Baltimore, Philadelphia, another matchup against the Browns? Do you look at that upcoming schedule and, and feel any sense of optimism with Hill? I mean, a little bit, I guess. Whenever you got, whenever you got get, get the Browns schedule, again, you got to so. yeah, you got to be like, hey, all right, Browns are coming up. That's nice. Um, I mean, I was going to ask, like, is Cleveland out of this in the AFC? I mean, I shouldn't say maybe not out of it. Looking at the North, because you know, with, with Pittsburgh sitting at four and five and Baltimore at five and four, that's certainly a, a surmountable deficit. But they're not getting a wild card. I mean, it, both wild cards at this point look like they're coming out of the West. Um, and if if Cincinnati doesn't pick things up, I mean, I, I don't really see them returning to the playoffs. They've looked worse than both Baltimore and Pittsburgh to me. I mean, Pittsburgh feels kind of like a like a Seattle or an Arizona where like you know the pieces are there. You've seen them play really well. They've just had a couple tough losses and they're, you know, they're not as bad as their record would indicate. Yeah, 9-5 and 1 is probably the the best mm-hmm. case scenario or 9-6 I mean, and Cincinnati 1. Cincinnati could very very easily be, you know, 5 and 4. They're a little um, bit like the Carolina of the AFC, the team yeah. that I thought was actually pretty good coming into the season. They've underperformed well, so you have the tie. You have like this loss last week. They very, very easily could have won. I'm not quite ready to bury them, but of course, mathematically, yeah, the numbers are, are not uh, in their favor. I think initially you said is Cleveland out of it, and I'm like, yeah, I think at 0 and 10, and then we can safely say they're not going to get you know, us. They're not going to get the wild they're card. They're not mathematically out. Well, they might be. Are they? I'd love to see the scenarios in which uh, the Browns make the playoffs. I think they might be mathematically out. Well, there's four teams in the conference that already have seven wins. So technically, no, they're not all the way out of it because ties and teams losing out could happen. We'll cover that on the Cleveland Browns playoff scenario pod. Yeah, that's coming up on Sunday. So 
set your calendars for that. I don't know who's going to host that episode, though. Hopefully we can get you to do it. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Bills-Bengals go, I think the Bengals can cover the two and a half. I think they're the better team. Buffalo's not bad, but they're not good either. It's a good way to put it. I, I feel better about Buffalo. Um, I mean, McCoy looked really good against Seattle a, a couple weeks ago. You know, when I thought he was kind of fifty-fifty going in, and it ended up, you know, he ended up looking like vintage McCoy against a good D. Now coming off the bye, I think it's fair to expect McCoy to be back to close to one hundred percent. So, I mean, the Bills have that going for him. But I mean, it took maybe the best like accuracy game of Tyrod Taylor's career, at least that I'd seen, to stay in a game with Seattle. Um, and this is a Seattle team that just beat New England. So, I mean, I think if there's such a thing as a good loss, that was one for uh, for Buffalo. But, I mean, that was, like, as well as that team could play. And, you know, I, I don't know if they have another game like that in them the rest of the year. Tyrod Taylor's good. I don't understand why there's this. He was making plays that he doesn't usually make. Not, I don't, I'm not out on Tyrod. I love Tyrod. I've seen him make nice throws all year. And people are going to say, well, he's got a 6.6 YPA. Look at his receiving core. Like yeah. He's working with you some, don't like Bob Woods? some optimal parts. Um, Bob Woods, yeah. I mean, I like him almost as much as Robert Woods. <laughs> which, which player do you think is better, Bob Woods or Robert Woods? Probably Robert Woods. Close who's though, who's right? available on a lot of waiver wires right now. And he's going to get targets. He is. Uh, I don't think Rex is serious about the Percy Harvin thing. I don't trust that. And no. Do you have any reason to believe Percy Harvin is going to see more than six targets in any of the remaining like, games? Why would you lie about that? Because you're talking to the media, and you're, you're an NFL like, coach, and you just say whatever you want to fill up time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, it's like who else do they have? You know, that's the only the only way you could defend that is saying like, well, I guess you know, it's like unless you want to play, you know, just whip the ball around to Woods and and Goodwin a bunch, like. They might not have another option. Justin Hunter, Charles Clay, Nick O'Leary. Yeah, well, when he got Nick O'Leary. Get Nick O'Leary more involved. Let's talk Bears, Giants. Giants, seven and a half point favorites. A popular survivor pick for this week. Uh, for those still hanging around here in week 11. Uh, Elshon Jeffrey, of course, suspended four games. So we'll see more Cameron Meredith. At least we expect to see more Cameron Meredith. Uh, the thing about Meredith, though, that trips me up is that the two big games he had came with Brian Hoyer. And I just don't know if he has that same rapport with Jay Cutler. So while his value has to be up, we're still talking about a player that's had, I think, two targets in each of the last three games. So maybe he goes from two to six, two to seven or eight. But yeah, I, I can't I, I can't necessarily just pencil him in for 12 to right. 15 targets again. Yeah, with Jeffrey out, obviously you kind of redistribute those, but... You know, like you said, when you lose an elite quarterback like Hoyer and, and go to and go to Cutler, obviously there's a drop off there. And yeah, I would be much more encouraged if these last few weeks he was hovering even at like four targets or like you know, ideally seven, eight. You know, you, there's there's targets available here. It's not like Alshon Jeffrey's soaking up 25 targets a game, uh, and, and the fact that Meredith hasn't been able to get over two uh, in each of the last three games, like you said, is certainly concerning. So yeah, I think it's a little bit maybe over optimistic to assume that he'll you know make a 10 target leap without Jeffrey but at the same time those targets have to go somewhere they're not just going to stop throwing the ball good news for Jordan Howard owners he fully practiced on Wednesday so the ankle Achilles problem that he may have had coming out of that game Sunday uh, appears to be a non-issue but I think it's Meredith it's Eddie Royal it's Marcus Wilson Zach Miller everybody's going to pick up the slack for Jeffrey I just think Meredith gets the the largest share of the available targets in Jeffrey's absence. More of like a wide receiver three, maybe the first guy in off the bench, though, if you pick him up in leagues where he is available. Uh, As far as the line goes, 
I don't ever want to pick the Bears, especially on the road. So I'll, I'll take the Giants. Seven and a half is a big number for them because you catch a day where Eli's a little off, McAdoo uh, insists on running the ball when the team can't. Like Those things could really make this game closer than it should be, but I'll very reluctantly take the Giants. Yeah, you almost worry that the fact that they were able to run the ball last week now makes them think that they can going forward. Um, and by running the ball, you know, they got barely over 120 yards, which for the Giants is the equivalent of, you know, running for like 350. Uh, but, you know, Rashad Jennings finally got things going. Paul Perkins, I, people still think Paul Perkins like looks the best of the running backs, right? I mean, the numbers obviously last week said Jennings was the better uh, option, but I think there's still that belief that at some point they're going to, you know, quote unquote, unleash Paul Perkins, you know, whatever that means by his standards. All right, so let's move on to the next game on the slate. Steelers on the road taking on Cleveland. The Browns are eight-point underdogs. It's a weird number. You don't see the the plus eight on the board very often. Just give me Pittsburgh. I, I think we we found out that Sammy Coates' limited role this past week was a result of having two broken fingers. Yep. So extra information we didn't previously have. That's why have. we saw so much Kobe Hamilton. I like Sammy Coates a lot, but if he's not healthy, it's clear he's not getting on the field much. So I think Coates is droppable, unfortunately, for the time being. Uh, what do you make of the Steelers in this matchup? Because I'm, I'm surprised that they're not favored by more. Eight seems too small yeah. for a Pittsburgh team at four and five that really needs to win. Uh, had the, the really close loss to Dallas. They've lost four in a row. Right. So, so that's the thing is like, you know, it's hard to argue maybe when they've lost four in a row, but they, they've looked pretty good. Like, they looked really – like, Dallas is just a really great team right now, and Pittsburgh stayed right with them stride for stride. Like, I, I don't know that you should necessarily punish them for that. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Cleveland, as we've harped on over and over, isn't your typical 0-10 team, um, you know, with the talent that they have, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Like, they're not just out there, you know, clowning around for four quarters. No, they're not your grandpa's 0-10 team. Mm-hmm. I mean – your slightly older brother's Lions. Yeah, right. They're not the was it the Marty Morningwig Lions or the Rod Marinelli Lions? I think it was Marinelli. Yeah, it, it's not. This is that that image of Dan Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone like that. You don't see. You're not going to see that from Cody Kessler. No, I mean Hugh Jackson's a good coach. He has nothing to work with right now, and they're another team kind of like Minnesota where they've had more than their fair share of injuries. So you, you factor that in. If they were healthier. They'd be one and nine, two and eight. I mean, that's how bad the roster is. So this could very easily be a one and nine team. But they're an oddly watchable zero and ten team. They are. Like I would rather watch them than the half the league right now. Like I'd rather watch them than the Ravens. I'd rather watch the Browns and the Jags. I'd rather. Okay, let's move on. You you gonna be okay? I don't know. We'll find out. I guess let's move on. I'll take the Steelers minus eight. Ravens on the road taking on Dallas. Dallas favored by seven in this one. Baltimore, uh, one of the better run defenses in the league. I don't think it matters. I think Dallas will run the ball whenever they want against anybody without exception. Yeah, I think so too. I think they've shown that. Um, I mean, seven is about right, I guess. I mean, this is not a bad Ravens team by any means. They've shown the ability to to play with just about anyone, uh, kind of slow the, the game down to their tempo, but yeah, I mean, Dallas is rolling right now. The, like, the biggest concern with Dallas is, like, overconfidence at this point, right? Or just kind of, uh, you know, looking and saying, like, well, they have to lose at some point. Like, do they? I don't know. I, I think they're they're rolling right now. And I think the fact that they've at least publicly uh, settled the, the quarterback situation at least kind of has to bode well, right? Because, like, if you're Dak Prescott or Tony Romo or anyone else in that locker room, no matter what you tell the media, like this was something that was looming over the franchise and had been since probably week three or four. And the fact that it's finally, 
you know, I, I guess settled, you know, for lack of a better term. Like, you, you can just kind of focus on football going forward. It's not this cloud that's hanging over this team anymore. Looking at their upcoming schedule, Ravens on Sunday, Washington in Week 12, Minnesota and the Giants on the road back-to-back Weeks 13 and 14, then Tampa and Detroit at home, 15 and 16, at Philly in Week 17. Of those matchups, I mean, they should be favored in all but maybe the in-division road games. I could see them being close to pick right. but they should be favored in at least five of those games. And I think they will win at least five of those games. So mm-hmm. they might be going into the playoffs at 13-3. and three. Like If you're Dallas, like, that's almost the worst case, right? I mean, this isn't a, a cupcake schedule the rest of the way by any means. Uh, but if they're able to beat Baltimore this week, you know, six games left on the schedule, I think you can, you can pencil in wins over Tampa and Detroit. And then, you know, even of the remaining four games, Washington, Minnesota, the Giants, and the Eagles are toss-ups, and you, you win two of those, like, you're, you're at 13 wins right there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an easy path to 13 wins, which is something I didn't expect to say about Dallas at any point this year. But how about the NFC East, by the way? Like, everybody in the NFC East is suddenly pretty competent. Yeah, and the NFC North is a dumpster fire. Right. They've kind of like changed places. They have. Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis, Curtis just, yeah. you know, just right into There's it. a topical movie reference. Is it? Freaky Friday? I don't if know. I know what it if is. You, there, if yeah. you've seen it, then it Yeah, that's it one, can't of, uh, be... one of the very few movies that I, I own. <laughs> We've talked about that. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about it They're very on a pod or before a, a pod. It's a bunch of movies that I own. Why do you own that movie? Uh, it was... It was Bought by someone in my family, uh, like you know, for some reason I didn't buy it, but I have it. You still own it though, like you still you haven't given. It's been what ten years since you got that movie from someone. Yeah, I mean it's I it's back at my parents' house. When's the last time you watched it? Ooh, that's a good question. It was on TV actually not that long ago. Within the last year, I don't think I watched the whole thing. I don't really watch movies, as you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's a great movie. I liked it. Yeah, great movie. Um, Dallas minus seven. You giving up the points? You're going to take the Ravens. Uh, take the. I'll take Dallas to win. Uh, I think uh, Baltimore covers seven. Yeah, I think so too. I think the Ravens are one of those teams. They just find a way to hang around, even yeah. even when they shouldn't. I think Dallas wins by three or four. Yep. Moving on to the Titans and Colts, a matchup in America's division. The highest over under of the week coming from America's Bizarre. division. What? What is this world that we are living in right now? 52.5 is the number. Colts favored by three. If you put them on a neutral field, it would be a pick em. I think Tennessee's better than Indy. I think the only thing that makes the Colts even remotely interesting right now is Andrew Luck. But I think Tennessee goes in to Indy and actually wins this game. I know they might have that letdown potential coming off a big win over the Packers, but I was really impressed by what Mike Malarkey and company put together last week. I think they can get it done. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think Tennessee looks like more than just a, kind of a fluky team right now. I mean, both of these teams are are coming off of recent blowout wins over Green Bay. Um, so I think you can kind of use that as like a weird measuring stick of like, all right, these teams are both capable of, of killing this Green Bay team in similar ways. Um, I, I mean, Mariota seems to be kind of doing it all uh, over these last few weeks for Tennessee after a little bit of a slow start. Um, I mean, you still, the thing for me is like, they just don't have the weapons on the outside. And that concerns me because I mean, Indianapolis probably has the three best receivers in this game. Um, and Tennessee has been able to make it work without that. And, you know, much credit goes to them for that. 
Um, but still, I mean, the running game, the, the discrepancy in running games, I think, is what really puts Tennessee over the top for me. And, you know, what DeMarco Murray's been able to do. And, you know, even when he's off the field, just being able to bring in a second running back where, you know, Derrick Henry's not as good as DeMarco Murray, but there's not much of a drop off there. No, I mean, there's there's enough in Henry's skill set where if Murray were to miss some time, I think Tennessee would still run the ball well enough to do what they want to do offensively. Uh, that said, every time I watch Murray this year, I think to myself, how bad is Chip Kelly, really? Like, he couldn't figure this out. Like, DeMarco Murray is that talented, and the Eagles couldn't run the ball. I know they had some offensive line injuries last year, but I think some of it was schemes, some of it was design, and that does fall on Chip. Uh, as I watched the Titans last week, they really spread the ball around pretty effectively, but the one pass catcher I still like above the others is the tight end, Delaney Walker. If I had to pick one from a DFS perspective, He's the guy I would pair with Mariota on a regular basis because I think his target volume seems to be the most stable of all those options. The receivers, you know, Rashard Matthews is kind of carving out his role as the one, but you got Kendall Wright uh, pushing Tajay Sharp for targets behind him, and I don't think there's that much that separates those two players most weeks. No, not at all. I mean, that those are kind of desperation options to me. You know, in the event of, of injuries, like, you, you really can't make a found you know foundational argument that one of those two is going to be more productive than the other on most weeks swags on the road uh taking on the yep. lions they're six and a half point underdogs your over under is 47 the last time i stacked blake bortles with alan robinson and i think it was marquise lee as the third piece oh, it was my. a disaster but i'm going to do it what? again because no. why not you know if if, if you if you give you a lot of reasons why not don't go ahead begin talk me out of it i read the other day that alan robinson has i think 71 yards after the catch on the entire season that's terrible well you can't catch the um, ball blake bortles can't throw it to you. That's so true. That's um, not on Allen Robinson. Jaguars are throwing interceptions where players are kicking the ball. They're playing the Lions. That's true. Battle the big cats. That's the thing. Like there's a lot of big cat pride on the line this week, and you know I think this is a Jaguars team that's desperately seeking some sort of motivation. Um, I do worry about that. Like I get kind of like uncomfortable watching the Jags because they all like seem to hate each other so much and just like hate the coach and like hate playing football that like it does kind of worry me that something's bad is going to happen on the field. And maybe that was a couple of weeks ago when they had two players get ejected and they've just, it's, it's tough to watch. And you know, the lions, the lions were off last week, right? Yeah. They're rested. Yeah, lions were off last week. They're coming in rested. The Jags the last two weeks have been respectable, at least on D and have been able to kind of keep themselves in games that they probably shouldn't have. Um, but, but this week, I think, you know, going on the road against the Detroit offense, that's, been pretty good and you know has golden tate kind of up and running again after these last few weeks uh that worries me a little bit yeah things have changed in detroit where golden tate's the one again marvin jones is the clear two based on the target volume uh those two players have been seeing over the last four or five games now so a switch from where things were uh where things were at in september I look at detroit though as a team much like jacksonville they're so prone to just disappoint you when you think they've finally figured something out Six and a half seems like a pretty big number. Bortles, I think, can throw against the Lions, mostly because Case Keenum did it. And I think Bortles is a little better than Case Keenum, even with the weird delivery thing that he's still doing. How has no one told him that he's doing it? Have people told him? people have told him. He did fly in his quarterback coach, his personal coach, um, a couple weeks ago. To fire him? Yeah, he flew him out there just to tell me he's fired. No, yeah. I, I mean, I would hope so, but I don't think that's what happened. Um, yeah, I mean, the, like you said, the, it seems kind of obvious from, you know, as us being non-quarterback coaches just to see a, 
a release like that, um, it's not really surprising that he's dealt with the accuracy issues that he has, especially with the weapons that he has too. I mean, like he's completely ma- he's made Allen Hearns a complete non-factor. He's made Allen Robinson look like a, a very average receiver. And to be fair, Robinson's had some drop issues. It hasn't been a hundred percent Blake Bortles, but it's been like ninety-five percent Blake Bortles. And even Marquise Lee is like he's like fought Mar- Marquise Lee has like fought through all of this terribleness to like become a pretty good number three receiver who looks like he could maybe be like a decent number two with a good quarterback. Yeah, Marquise Lee's uh, bright light in an otherwise dismal well, season. I wouldn't say bright light for he's, the he's Jags. A light, a light, a small light. Right. Well, all right. So I'm going to take the Jags getting the six and a half. And no. the thing about this Allen Robinson situation is that. I was just ripping Ted Thompson for the last year because he took Devontae Adams ahead of Allen Robinson in the draft a couple of years back. Devontae Adams looks good right now. Allen Robinson looks kind of normal. But then if you think about the quarterback play, I think that's where the difference is. Like, I still look at this as a situation where if, the, if, if Devontae Adams played for the Jags and Allen Robinson played for the Packers, oh. the numbers that Adams has put up would be even better right. under with Robinson in that role. And I think Adams would struggle to match what Robinson's been able to do with Bortles this year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a receiver like Robinson who has just like insane range, you know, he's very similar to A.J. Green, I think, you know, where the ball doesn't have to be right on target. Like with Devontae Adams, it has to be pretty on target. And if it is on target, he's good at catching the ball and, you know, running after the catch a little bit more at least this season than he was last year. Whereas Robinson, I think, like you said, he's probably, you know, he's probably made like Bortles look even, you know, a little bit better than he has been. And, you know, Bortles has been terrible this year, but he might be even worse, I guess, if he doesn't have Robinson, you know, making these shoelace catches and, you know, these acrobatic downfield catches. But still, it's like I've harped on all year. This Jaguars team just doesn't rip off big plays like they did uh, so often last season. And that kind of helped them steal two or three games last year and, and inspire the optimism that uh, is now looking like it was a bit of a fraud. So I may have overlooked this aspect of the move from St. Louis to Los Angeles at the time, but... With the Rams in Los Angeles, they play more games in the late block, and the late block is so small. Mm-hmm. If you're watching Red Zone, you're flipping through games, you're more apt to see a Rams game now than you were before, and that's not a good thing. No, Jared Goff debuting uh, over under intrigued. over under 39.5. I mean, there's nowhere to go but up, I think, but I said the same thing with the Houston passing game when they signed Brock Osweiler. So you, you, can, you can actually underperform to the downside even when the bar is very low. All right, so the Rams are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. Is Todd Gurley going to get going? I mean, is Jared Goff going to be good enough to make defenses respect the passing game at all? I don't think so, right? I mean, they're at least going to make him prove it. And, you know, over the course of a game, I don't know what kind of adjustments you can really make if you're Miami. I mean, I don't think the Dolphins are looking at this situation and saying, like, we're glad Jared Goff is starting. I think, I think if anything, it's a lateral move. Um, I think... I think they're just going to play the Rams the way that every other team has, and that's Gurley first, Gurley second, Gurley third, and stack them up and go from there. I mean, the the Rams want to win these games, I and mean, haven't they won two games this year without scoring a touchdown? Like, ideally, they want to win games like nine to six, and that's you know <laughs> I, that's what they did. <laughs> Didn't they do that last week? Ideally, Todd Gurley actually can run the ball for them, and they win. Well, at like this point of year, six, I think they but... hopefully come to terms with the fact that that's just not happening. Like, they did, the best way for them to win is to win defensively and just like squeak out points wherever they can get them. I saw a trade on Twitter. Somebody said they gave up Todd Gurley to get Jeremy Hill. Would you do that if you were a Gurley owner? It, it's something you could talk about. I don't think I would do it, but like 
it's kind of like a lateral move, right? We should get DJ Trainer in here. He's the owner of Todd Gurley in the stake league. I, mm-hmm. What is it going to take? I'm the owner of Jeremy Hill. Should I just propose the trade and see what happens? Well, let me try to get Todd Gurley first and then okay. go, come in and make your you, offer. I'll let you uh, go first and I'll swoop in. Yeah, you swoop in. I'll, talk, the, to, I'll talk to DJ at lunch. Actually. Go go right over the top. This will be the topic of the, the Guadalajara run for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so Dolphins on the road giving up a point and a half. I think the Dolphins are going to win. I think I'll take them giving up the one and a half. I don't feel strongly about it. I don't feel good about most of these games, so please don't play these games uh, based on my advice. But I think Miami wins by maybe a field goal in this matchup. Uh, Philly on the road at Seattle, the best, I think, of the late trio of games that we have. still don't like watching Philly. No, I don't like watching them either. Seattle's favored by six and a half. Seattle just won at New England. Philly's been, I think, quite a bit better at home than on the road. I think you adjust for a couple of the weaker opponents they've seen. That disparity uh, is even more clear. I think Seattle wins by like 10. Russell Wilson finally looked healthy. Rawls joining C.J. Proceis in the backfield. The running game might get going a bit. Doug Baldwin looked really good on Sunday night. Uh, assuming Jimmy Graham is healthy, I think Seattle will find a way to pick apart Philly. Yeah, I think these are two teams trending in very opposite directions. And Philly, you know, did some did some things to to kind of turn that around, I guess, and beat Atlanta in the the Battle of the Birds last week. But I think Seattle is, I wouldn't say they're quite back, you know, Seattle type of back. But winning at New England is not something that many teams can do in this league, and I don't think they lucked their way into it by any means. Um, so yeah, I, I think this was a, a, a bad spot for Philadelphia. You know, as they kind of try to build momentum off that Atlanta win because. Seattle's playing as well as anybody right now, and that they're going to get Thomas Rawls back. They kind of made that bizarre decision to, to cut Kristen Michael, but you know, at the same time, I, you know, how many running backs can you really roster, I guess? And we'll talk about Green Bay in a little bit, but I'm interested to get your thoughts on that pickup for the Packers. Just depth, really. I don't, I don't know. It's a better move than Niall Davis, and it yes. doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to play him a lot. I think it's a lack of confidence in Ty Montgomery as a running back is, is what it says the most uh, about for the roster. So I'll take Seattle giving up six and a half. The other question with this game, Ryan Matthews, over 100 yards, two TDs last week against the Falcons. Is he startable this week? I mean, what's the scenario for you to be using Ryan Matthews at Seattle? It's risky, right? I mean, one, it's a bad matchup regardless. You know, I don't feel great about starting anyone against the Seattle defense. Uh, let alone someone who had 11 snaps, I think, two weeks ago, and then you know, went off last week. I I mean, he's trending in the right direction, I guess. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like horrific about you know using Ryan Matthews, but we, he's this coaching staff has just shown that there's so much volatility uh, in terms of who's going to get the snaps week to week. I mean, Darren Sproles has worked his way into this rotation. He seems to kind of you know be factoring into the passing game, especially. Um, but right now, I guess if we're just going week to week, Ryan Matthews is probably the guy in Philly. I'm playing him over Jarek McKinnon, but that's not well, much of an endorsement at this point. I mean, it's. I don't feel great about it. I think this is more of a Sproles matchup where they're going to try to get him out in space, right. try to make a few big plays that way. But Matthew should at least get 12, maybe 14, 15 carries in this game. The problem is if they fall behind, you will see a lot more Sproles than right. Matthews uh, by comparison. Patriots on the road at San Francisco. The Patriots favored by 13 on the road. You don't see a lot of 13-point favorites on the road. Is that enough? Is that enough? I don't even think it matters if Gronk plays or not. I'm not expecting him to play. I think I'm taking New England, giving up the 13 on the road. That's just crazy. 
I feel like the fact that they lost last week makes me feel more confident that they'll win by more than 13. Yeah, Hoodie coming off a loss. I mean, he's always mad, but there's like a little extra rage in there when they when they lose. Yeah, uh, you know, I think I think this is a, uh, not a great spot for for the old 49ers. No? I think they're like they played really well last week. Hung around a lot better than people thought they would, and yeah, I, I don't see that being the case two weeks in a row. I, I think New England's not one of those teams that you worry about a loss ever snowballing like no. ever. And you know, this is probably the best possible matchup outside of Cleveland for them right now. And um, you know, I, I really like Legarrette Blunt in this matchup. I like James White. I, I think I think New England will try to just have this game over with by halftime. I'm thinking like thirty-eight ten New England. Yeah, is the way this one's going to go down. Uh, yeah, I'll give it up to 13. Packers on the road for the Sunday night game. They are in Washington. Redskins favored by three over under is 50. Ty Montgomery, according to many people, is droppable right now. I mean, he barely played. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Starks took over the backfield in a blowout. Would have had more than 10 touches, I think, if that game were close. Kristen Michael comes in. Michael doesn't catch passes. Starks does. So at, at the the very worst for Starks, he's in a timeshare where he's getting passing downs and probably a handful of carries on top of that. But I feel like it's going to take Michael at least a week or two to get up to speed in the offense to the point where the Packers actually trust him to carry the ball more than two or three times. I mean, the Niall Davis thing, it might be apples and oranges because they're different players with different skill sets, but joining a team midweek and learning the offense on the fly is something that's actually pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we saw. I think we were kind of in the same spot with Niall Davis where – you know, a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was pre-Bears game, the Thursday night game, they signed him. Like, you know, everybody's frantically doing research on Niall Davis, and it's like, is this guy worth picking up? Is he going to get a bunch of carries? And he ends up dressing for that game, and I don't did he even carry the ball? I, don't, I think he got on the field for a couple snaps. Like, it's unfair to expect someone to to pick up an entire system, and especially to like take the lead back role. So, I mean, maybe in a couple weeks we we can talk about Kristen Michael as a, as a decent option alongside Starks. Um, but I, I think for this week, I, I do like Starks quite a bit. I mean, if you think he's got skills, stash him away. Just yeah. don't play him right now. As far as Washington goes, they may get Deshaun Jackson back. Uh, that would certainly help. I think they're a much better team at home than on the road. Many teams are like that. And yet there's still something about them I don't fully trust. I don't know what exactly it is. Maybe, maybe it's Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's it's the Dan Snyder stench on the franchise. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I, I want to ask about the Packers. Like you, you were able to watch last week's Packers game. I was traveling and I had to kind of catch up later. But do you get the feel that McCarthy's job is safe for the rest of the season, no matter what? Or like if they come out flat for a third straight game and are trailing big in the third quarter for a third straight game, like would they actually make that move? Ted Thompson is so ultra conservative with everything he does from a business decision standpoint. Mm-hmm. I would be stunned if he fired McCarthy before the end of the regular season. Ray Rhodes didn't get fired mid-season, did he? No, he, he was end of the season. Year. Yeah, he, he got one year because... Okay. And even that seemed drastic, but... That was, you know. that was a quick hook. That was a rough time for the Packers. Because he was right after Sherman, right? I thought it was Holmgren-Rhodes-Sherman. Or was it Holmgren-Rhodes... I thought Rhodes was... Was, or, uh, it was, McCarthy. was McCarthy directly... At, man, my, my mind is crumbling. Well, okay, so Rhodes was the Packers coach in 99. McCarthy didn't take over in 2000. Oh, I thought, man, I thought Ray Rhodes I think was, it was Holmgren much more Rhodes. recent than that. But yeah, you yeah. Were, are, are people on the internet going to start uh, clamoring for Holmgren to come back and, and coach this team? start clamoring for Ray Rhodes? He's only 66. No, nobody, nobody in Green Bay <laughs> wants Ray Rhodes back. Yeah, I mean, the Holmgren thing is... like He's kind of like the Pat Riley of of Packers, you know, of like NFL where, or like Phil Jackson, I guess in some ways where 
I, I was only like what eight years old, I guess, when they fired Holmgren. Like, what was the reasoning behind that? Just like layover, they felt they should have done better after winning, or what? I think the problem at the time, and I was I was pretty young when it happened too. I thought the problem was that he wanted more control over personnel decisions, and the weird thing was they eventually gave that to Mike Sherman. Mm-hmm. He wanted to, he wanted some GM responsibility, like a Jason Kidd like coup situation. Yeah, it was just kind of like that, and the Packers weren't going to give him the job that he wanted. I think Seattle did give him some control over personnel. And that was the difference. And then with Sherman, he, of course, drafted like B.J. Sander in the third round because that's... Sometimes you just got to draft punters in the third round. That's what head coaches do sometimes when they're GMs, I guess. Uh, Look, I I still don't have... I still don't have an overwhelming amount of doubt about this team. I just have an increasing amount of doubt. Like, I'm I'm giving you the point... Well, that's the thing when you have Aaron Rodgers... You, 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 have, you have a chance. But the fact that McCarthy has been so unwilling to change the scheme. I think Randall Cobb's hamstring is still a problem too. He just doesn't look quite right. I thought he looked right when he was in the game, but you know, they didn't Rogers was missing weeks, him. You know, they didn't put him in the game until late. Well, yeah, and the, the indie debacle right. 2 weeks ago was a mess too. It's still there. It just needs to be finely tuned and McCarthy's not making enough adjustments. I'll take Washington giving up the 3. I hate to do it, but I I just think we're going to see more of the same from the Packers again this week. I think so too. Um but yeah, I mean, like I said, it's you just always you kind of have to remain somewhat optimistic when you have Rodgers, you know, that just knowing what he's capable of and knowing what the some of the skill position players on this team are capable of, like it's it'd be kind of stupid to write write the Packers off, especially with how the rest of this division is playing. But I mean, at what point? I mean, like how many more weeks of just like horrific all around football do you have to see before it's just like all right, they just don't have it this year? I mean, Rodgers. I think after last week is now the least accurate deep ball thrower, according to Pro Football Focus, in the entire NFL uh, among Sweet. qualified players. Like it, things like that. Like it's not. It's not just flukes. No, it's not. And if it's an injury or if it's just something between the ears or whatever, whatever it is, I I I don't know if there's something wrong with Rodgers. He doesn't look right, but the offense looks exactly the same mm-hmm. as it has for the last four or five years. Teams adjust. And the Packers haven't made their adjustments to counteract that just yet. Uh, Houston on the road at Oakland for the Monday night game. Not a bad well, not Monday night Oakland. game. In Mexico. In Technically Mexico. a home game for Oakland in Mexico. A raucous environment. It will be. Uh, Oakland favored by six and a half. So that's a pretty big line. I got five and a half here. But yeah, either way, that seems kind of high. Vegas not really buying into Houston at this point. But why would they? Brock Osweiler right. in another country? <laughs> Well, yeah, there's that. I mean, that that alone is is its own story. I mean, they might be the worst six and three team like ever, right? I mean, with some of the wins that they have, like they just keep beating bad teams and losing to good teams. Uh, you got to do some research since the merger. Who are the worst ooh. six and three teams? Oh, I mean, this is kind of subjective, though, right? Well, How no. did they beat the Chiefs? By the way, how smoke and mirrors? I don't get it. I, Drugs? I mean, they barely squeaked by the Jaguars with Osweiler throwing for like ninety-seven yards last week. Uh, which says much more about the Jaguars than the Texans. But, I mean, if Oakland wins this game, they're I think they're going to become an, a national story. I think to some degree they're kind of creeping toward that already, but I don't know if the casual fan realizes quite how good this Oakland team is. Oakland by double digits. They're they're way better than Houston. This is, this is going to be... Houston is still decent, though. It's okay, but it's... I th- Oakland wins. I think Oakland wins comfortably, but it's not, it's not like a complete blowout throughout. They've got balance. They can run it pretty well. They've got weapons in the passing game. Carr is at least decent at quarterback, I and mean, they can do everything you need to do to be a good yeah. team. Six and a half is a big number. I think they still cover it. Okay. 
You, you have confidence. You have no confidence in them, or what? No, I do. I, I just I don't. I mean, the Texans are six and three. I mean, like I just said, they might be the worst six and three team ever, but they still kind of find ways to scrap these wins together. And you know, they, their defense, like I said, I, I think is is good enough to to prevent Oakland from completely running away with this. Like, I'll t- I'll say Raiders like twenty seven to like twenty one. Okay, so that's a that's a barely it's barely a non cover depending right. on the line. All right, let's go around the line. Well, at six and a half, I'll still take the Raiders. I just think they're a, a okay. lot better than Houston. It's kind of fun point. to have the Raiders back. It's been a long time. It's been a really it's basically been like my entire lifetime. Yeah, you haven't seen a good Raiders well, team no, before. The Gannon team, I guess, was that oh three? Yeah, the got, early two thousand. Got smoked yeah. by Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. In the Gruden Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it was in the Gruden Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, and then, it was a one good. Oakland that was kind team. of their last good year, right? I think Gannon like tore his ACL or something like early the next season, and they went four and twelve. He and was pretty this. old when they when he had that great season too. Who was coaching them in that Super Bowl? Was it Callahan? Because they had fired Gruden, yeah. right? and Gruden went to Tampa and immediately brought them to the Super Bowl. I think it might have been Bill Callahan. I think it was. Wow, we're learning all sorts of great Future things Nebraska today. Nebraska head man. How that Callahan. that worked out great, didn't it? That was a tough time for Nebraska football. Yeah, that was, was kind of they, you know. I mean, at least they they somehow parlayed that into getting into the Big Ten. It's a gift, right? It it's really a, was. It's a gift. It's going to wrap things up for the Thursday episode of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Tim and I are back with you on Friday. Your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.